merit. Please continue to use the social media. Uh, YouTube, Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, and Twitter. And uh, we also, right now, I've got an intern. We're having a meeting tomorrow before she goes back to Canada. Uh, she made Aliyah, she goes to IDC University. And uh, she is actually, our website's been started, but she said, Michael, here's what I love. She said, I'm going to take control. I said, say it again to me. She said, I'm going to take control. I said, listen, I like that. When someone has the guts, when no one else will. Gil, I'm telling you, I got a young lady, Gil Rosenberg. And we're going we're gonna to introduce her, Gil here in a second. She's an amazing lady. I'm going to tell you, I've been waiting to meet you. This is great stuff. This is like a, a big, nice barbecue to me right now. <laughs> I, it's, it's meeting you is like eating from a Chinese buffet when I'm really hungry, you know? But uh, I, I, I've had a lot of folks that are sayers, not doers. They talk a lot, but they don't act a lot. Over the past three years, Michael, I want to be involved. I want to do this, but they all want to get in front of the camera. But I, I want to, I want to be on the radio show. I'm like, no, you got to do the grunt work. Right. You got to do the grunt work. And I will tell you, folks, it is amazing. I can't even tell you. What's that say? Um. Ah, it's about a meeting. Okay, that's. Yeah. Okay, so. Uh, Gil, since I've been here, you know what? I've had to do everything. Appointments, emails, all that. And uh, I want to say, I'm going to get back to my point. You want to you get involved, then you got to do the grunt work if you want promoted. Right. And uh, so I've got a young lady that's going to do the website and all the videos and make them look a lot more professional than what I'm doing. I'm doing okay. But I want to thank everyone and, and have expectation. For insight to Israel, we've been here, boots on the ground, been on the front lines with the soldiers, traveled all over this country, doing what no other American, on my level, on the on the on the level that we're at, doing what no other America is doing or European. And uh, I'm very blessed. I'm blessed every day to be here. And uh, listen, Gil, God has provided. I'm telling you, it's been exciting. I, can, I there's times I had five dollars in my bank account. Do you know what I'm doing now? Movies. Israeli movies, nice. American movies, European movies, commercials. I play the British Prime Minister in an Israeli TV show. <laughs> I got a Volvo. I own a Volvo with little British flags on it. <laughs> so I want to say uh, this is the way God provides, and I want to say thank you to those donors who make a tax-deductible or PayPal partnership donation. I also want to say thank you to all those who give, who are participators, not spectators, in Hershey's for Heroes. There we go. Look at that. Look at that, Gil. You're awesome. Uh, Americans sending Hershey's chocolate bars with notes on it and the soldiers. We love you. We pray for you. We stand with you. You need to get your friends, your family, your church, your synagogue, your civic group involved with Hershey's for Heroes because, ladies and gentlemen, the world is becoming more godless. And those of you who believe in the Jewish state, you need to line up and give to Hershey's for Heroes. Go to the Facebook page, Hershey's for Heroes, if you haven't done it. You need to step up to the plate. All right, moving forward. Uh, wow. Wow. It is another another beautiful day in the Jewish state. We're in Tel Aviv. Yes. It is now, what time is it? Six? It is 7 o'clock. 7 o'clock. Gil Rosenberg, I want to say thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. And uh, what is, how many interviews have you done now? 
Um, probably over 20. Over 20? Yeah. And how much of a time span? In the last two and a half, three weeks. In the last two and a half, three yeah. weeks. Okay, so folks, listen, I get this young lady, Gil Rosenberg, you're from Canada. Yes, born and raised Vancouver. Ah, nice, yeah. nice. British, that's a British part of yeah, Canada. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Gil, how old are you? 31. 31. Yeah. Good girl. And uh, Gil, actually, get this. Well, I'm excited. Uh, listen, I've tracked you down. And uh, Gil actually went uh, to Iraq and Syria and fought against ISIS. <laughs> you did with some of these guys in the United States. You know what I tell these Christian guys in the United States? You think you're a man. How about you pack up and you go stand with the Christians fighting for their life? Right. You know what the excuse I get from folks? There's certain people I talk to. Yeah, they're not. They're, they're family members. Okay. Well, Michael, not everybody can just pack up and go. You know what? I did it. But everyone has a different purpose. Right. Okay. Everyone, everyone has a different role to play. So right. Not everyone is meant to be on the front line and fighting. You know. But I wish I could have been with you. It was awesome. You know. Amazing. Awesome. Amazing. Gil, you know, I want to start out. We're going to get to that, but I want to start. I want. I want the folks to become familiar with you. Sure. Because I think it's important. Uh, you came from from Canada. Yes. How long did you live in Canada? Because you were in the IDF. Yes, I, I was, but not until the age of around 21, 22. Ah, really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I went later. Um, I was a volunteer. I didn't have to serve. Right. Um, you were a lonely a, soldier? Yeah. Uh, I did a program called Machal, which is overseas volunteers to the IDF. Nice. Um, and then somewhere along the way, decided to become a citizen in the States. So. Now, you are, you're obviously Jewish. Yes. Both your parents? Um, my father wasn't. Your, fa- your father wasn't? No. No? Your ma- Ima is? Yes. Okay. So I'm Jewish. No, exactly. <laughs> I, don't tell the rabbit but I think even if your dad's Jewish, if you want to stand with the Jews... You know? Yeah, absolutely. But uh, taking anyone, I, I, <laughs> anyone who wants to. I, I want them. I want the government to adopt me. You know. So let me ask you. So, what was your home life growing up in Canada like? Because there, there obviously, what, what, there's something that happened in your life that drove you to come over. Um, I, I mean, I was raised in a very Zionist home, um, very pro-Israel, very. Um, you know, a lot of Holocaust education. Wow, um, nice. A lot of, I went to an Orthodox Jewish school. Oh, okay. Um, so, you know, my my um, Jewish heritage was, like, my Jewish roots were very strong. Yeah. Um, and uh, my mother was always big on supporting Israel on, um, you know, that sort of thing. So, for me, like, the Jewish identity was, was very important. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I'm going to, for those of you, we're going to have, for those listening to the radio show, uh, I th- I'm, I'm so excited about this interview, and we'll, of course we'll find out in the end if I'm still excited, but, <laughs> but uh, listen, she's wearing this ball cap, it's become her trademark, for those of you watching the video, she has beautiful hair, I was looking at her Facebook page, I wasn't stalking her or anything, but I got to know who I'm interviewing, you know right, what I mean? Right. And uh, I asked her to take it off, but she's like, ah, I got it. It's a trademark, so yeah, I get like it. The, the New York Mets, they're the underdogs. Is that, is that true? This, this one isn't, but I got two Mets caps in there. Oh, do you? Yeah, I'm a huge New York Mets fan. Ah, my sister and her husband are Yankees fans. Oh, no. Oh, they're, they're going to see this and be like, why did you interview that girl? Who cares what she did? Whatever, you know what? The Mets are the underdogs. It's easy to be a Yankees fan. Uh-oh. <laughs> I 
don't even pay attention to sports in the United States. It's become our false god. But I understand what you're saying, and I think it's funny because I'm not even involved, but I, I thought that was hilarious. So talk to me more. Anyway, so, uh, so you grew up in this home, and uh, when, when did it, like, dawn on you? Like, was it gradual, or was it something you woke up one morning and you just said, you know what, it's time to go? Because um, that's what happened for me. Okay, for, for me, I I always, like, from a very young age, like, you know who Jonathan Netanyahu is? Yoni, Yoni he was one of my heroes. He's, I mean, he was my childhood hero growing up. That, so. that was that was what pushed me over the edge to yeah. come. Yeah, so he was my childhood hero. I always wanted to be, like, a soldier like Yoni Netanyahu, so. Wow. So, even from a young age, you know, it was always, like, I, I, ideal, I you know, I idolized Yoni Netanyahu, and wow. uh, always played with, like, G.I. Joe's when I was a little kid, you know, I was such a tomboy, G.I. Joe's and Hot Wheels, but, and I was obsessed with the police and the military. Nice. So, yeah, I mean, I started at a young age, and um, when I... When 9-11 happened, um, you know, I tried to join the U.S. Marine Corps. Not being American, obviously, I couldn't. Um, and I still and, wanted to serve. And I won't even tell you what the Marines told her. That's another story. <laughs> yeah. But those guys ought to be arrested. Anyway, uh, let me ask you, um, have you been, I'm going to sidetrack just for a second, have you been to the, the exhibit, the, the uh, Entebbe? Yoni Netanyahu exhibit. No. Okay, actually, I'm going to get you in there and get you a tour. It's a small exhibit. Okay. I went with the curator. We were given a special tour. Yeah. And he took us around the exhibit. It's amazing. Yeah. And I want you to, if, if, if he doesn't have the time, I'm going to pay for your way to go because I think it's important for you to see since he was, uh, but uh, wow. So these are the things that kind of molded and shaped you growing up. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so fine. What, what, now, how did you tell your parents, like, I'm sure they weren't surprised or they even cared, but yeah, your I'm, dad's smart because he married Jewish, right. which is what I may eventually do if I can find the right woman. But uh, but he, he married Jewish. So what did you, you want, mom and dad? I got something to tell you. Uh, well, I mean, you should have dad's some wine first. From a young age. Ah, okay, and, okay. Um, by that time, you know, things were pretty rocky with my mother. So you know, I was, I was. A pretty difficult child, I guess. You know, okay. I was very independent from a young age. Well, that's honesty. Wow. Stubborn, okay. and you know, so whatever <laughs> I said was going to happen is what happened, and that was that. So, wow. You know, wow. So, how did you? What What was the process that you took to get here? Um. Actually, I mean, I just picked up and left. You know. Um, wow. It's yeah, like what I did. They, they asked me at the airport what I was doing here, and I was like, I'm joining the army, and they're like, well, How? And I was like, Well, I have this guy's phone number. I'm supposed to call him, and he's going to get me in. And, uh, you know, they checked it out, called the guy from the airport, and it turned out, you know, the guy has connections to the drafting office in Jerusalem. And, wow. You know, so. Hey, I want to say to American Jews, you young guys and girls that make excuses, you've been on Teglit. I've actually had them tell me. And look, they're kids, I understand it. But you know what? It's time to, it's time to tighten up. Mm-hmm. Michael, I got, I got things to do before I come to Israel. What more do you have to do? 2,000 years, the doors are open. You better walk through them. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to say to the American Jews, and I say it with great ferocity, you have, unless you're mentally and physically handicapped, you have no reason not to be here with your people. And stand as they fight for freedom every day. Do not insult them by sending your money. Do not insult them by coming to their beach and sipping their wine and then leaving and say you love Israel. 
I'm not even Jewish and I'm offended by that thought. When these people fight for freedom every day and their children, the minute they look at their child and that mother knows she has to send her son off or her daughter off to fight for freedom the minute they turn 18, you staying in the United States of America is inexcusable. There's no excuse. Anyway, that's my little soapbox. Wow, I'm feeling clean, Gil. So you get over here and you call this guy yep. and you said, I want to join the Army. And yeah, and we started the process right away. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so involved a couple trips to the drafting office in Jerusalem and <laughs> other places like uh, the Interior Ministry. And, and wow. You know, uh, you know, I like I had a couple Israelis that kind of forced things through a lot faster than normal. Nice. And, and I was drafting in no time, within a month. Wow! 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 Yeah. So okay, here you come to this country. We didn't know any Hebrew. I had like a basic foundation from Jewish school. Okay. And uh, do you know that? Yeah, that's. If you want to come over, you can. Yeah. Are you going? Yeah, what is that? You want to take it to Jerusalem? Oh, I'm still doing an interview, so. Do you, do, you, do you have a way to get back to Jerusalem? Yeah, I mean, I would have even if I stay overnight until we do something. Okay, okay. Slight, uh, okay, back on track. Uh, so, uh, you come here, you join the army, you, hit, you know a little bit of Hebrew. Yeah. What was, what was the, first of all, were you a combat soldier? I wanted to be. Um, I was for like the first couple of weeks, and then they realized I'm an only child, and I didn't have a signature from my mother. So, wow. they tossed me out of there. They gave me a list of like 20 or so jobs to, to pick from, and search and rescue seemed the most interesting of them. Hi, John. Hey. Ah, wow, nice. Yeah, you're a big hit in the United States. Am I? Uh, I mean, I, from what I hear, <laughs> I, I'm good. I don't even know. <laughs> you're going to find out because okay. the response I'm going to get on this video. So, so uh, you signed up and uh, you, you're an only so, child. Yeah, I'm an only child. So they give me a list of you know 20 other jobs that I can choose from, which is like you know tank instructor, artillery instructor. Yeah. Search and rescue seemed the most interesting out of them. Yeah. Um, and so I chose that, became a, an NCO in the search and rescue unit. Wow, nice. Instructor at the search rescue and civil defense school. I got to train, you know, foreign militaries. So I trained the Kenyan Armed Forces, um, helped establish their disaster response unit, and I'm still in touch with those guys to this day. Wow! Amazing guys. Like, it was like a life-changing experience working with them. Yeah. Wow. Now in Kenya, what are they? They're fighting Islam, aren't they? Yeah, they are. I think I had a dream about this interview. Really? Yeah. yeah. Seriously, I'm having these flashbacks. <laughs> Okay. So they're fighting Islam in Kenya. They are. That, this, this, folks, you don't understand this thing. You think this is just about the militant arm of Islam? They're, they're, they've infiltrated every level of the United States government, both political parties, our culture. Anyway, that's another story. But uh, so, wow, what kind of that had to have been amazing? Yeah, it was, it was a great experience. When it was over, uh, you know, it was time to time to move on. I felt like I had gotten everything out of it and given everything that I could, and you know, yeah. I just get, I always get a feeling when it's when it's time to move on. Yeah, yeah. No, I understand. Let me ask you, what was like? There's those are is there are there things that you can't tell no. that you didn't on it? Because I didn't know that Israel was dealing with like the Kenyan. Right. No, I mean, obviously we have. You know, uh, unofficial relations with certain countries, and might have worked with some that you know we 
and say. Of course, of course, because you, know, uh, you have to. Yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, things like Kenya. I mean, Kenya and Israel have very strong relations. Amazing, amazing. So now you get out of the Army. You, you go in at, what, 20? Uh, I go in at, like, 22. 22, which is unusual because most, most go in at 18. Right. So was, there was already an age difference and then the language, you know, culture difference. So, you know, it was... It was How was it for you adjusting to everything? It, I mean, it was a good experience. You know, it was it was a, a bit of a, an adjustment, but not anything really dramatic. Yeah, yeah. So now you get out of the Army. Right. And... Uh, what what's next? I mean, what do you do? Here you are. You're you're from Canada. Right. You're in a foreign country. Even though you are, were you in, did you become an Israeli citizen? Yeah, I was an Israeli citizen by then. Wow, nice. Yeah. Now, what was that like for you as someone that's Jewish and? Um, I mean, getting citizenship here didn't really impact me as much as like the swearing-in ceremony in the army. Really? That that was really emotional. What what was what? Why was that emotional for you? I guess I, like, I was just so proud to. To become part of the IDF, you know, yeah. I always dreamed of it. So. Wow! 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 Let me ask you. Uh, you know, here you are, raised up in Canada. You see this country, and when I look at the history and the history of the Jewish people in general, um, you know, as someone who's not Jewish, I see God's hand. Absolutely. Gil, I see God's hand on the people. And. Uh, so what was it like for you to, like, when you was, again, I understand what you told me, the, the military, that was the biggest impact, but when you, uh, did you ever see any, like, combat situations or not, find not yourself? Not in, in the IDF. No. Not in the IDF. I mean, I was, I was um, on the border with Gaza. We were getting hit with rockets. Yeah. My job was to do the, you know, the rescues if, if um, like, civilians got injured or hurt or their houses got hit. Um, but that was really the, the closest I saw as far as combat in yeah. the So now you're here, what do you do when you get out of the Army? Now you have a decision. Like, am I going back to Canada? Am I, right. I going to stay here in Israel? Well, um, you know, I was, I got out of the Army, no family in the country. How did it change your life being in the Army? Um, I mean, it definitely gave me uh, more discipline, I guess. And, yeah. I don't know, but I, I was still, you know, I was still pretty young. Yeah. Um, but it definitely, it definitely had an impact on my life. Did your mother know that you joined the? Yeah, she did. What'd she think? Um, we we weren't really speaking then. So. Right, I understand. Yeah. Was there was there because you did join that? Was there anything that maybe had the opportunity to bring you guys closer together? We still haven't, unfortunately. I hope you do. Yeah. Yeah. It's important. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I know it's. I don't know your whole background, but. Uh, you know, my dad always used to tell me my father was a green bright. And he grew up, he had a very rough home life growing up. It was very, very bad. His mother was uh, an amazing woman. Um, his father died when he was drunk. I, I, I'm not getting off course. I, I, I think no, I, I need to say this. But uh, my dad always said, you know, my brother and I used to fight, get in fights when we were okay. young. And my dad used to say, and not, not a fist fight, just like arguments, you know, because he was younger and I was older and there was like, a, you know, quite a few years between us. And my dad used to grab us. He was a big man. Yeah. My dad used to grab a hold of us and say, you boys want to fight? Your brothers. Fight me. <laughs> my dad was like six foot five. 
you know? And a green beret. Green beret, you know? He used to grab us. Like, you boys, he would, like, I thought he was going to run our heads together. He'd say, you boys want to fight? Fight me. Let's go out in the yard, you know? Your family, you know? Don't, you shouldn't be fighting one another. And, uh, you know, it's, it's those things that I'm thankful that uh, my father's not around anymore. I wish you saw me here, Bill, because when I see what these folks go through and the threat, ladies and gentlemen, you can't even imagine the threat of death that this country is under every single day and what these soldiers go through on a daily basis. You think you fight for freedom in the United States? You think you fight for freedom in Canada? You don't even feel what these folks go through. You, don't even, you have no clue. No clue. And you're losing your freedom very fast, very quickly. Anyway, that's another story. I know I think it needs to be said, Gil, because we're in a very serious time. So, back to business. You get out of the Army. Now what? Um, and I make some very poor decisions. Um, by the time I got out of the Army, I was drinking pretty heavily. Um, wow. Yeah. And um, I had a friend that I had served with that was from Seattle and had gotten out of the military about three months before me. And he had gotten mixed up in an illegal business, sort of connected to organized crime here. Wow. And, um, you know, I went over and saw that he was living very well, and I said, how are you supporting yourself? Yeah, it's tough here. It is tough here. It is. I mean, this, none of this is any excuse. Oh, you know? I understand. Um, and uh, he said, he kind of pushed it away, like, oh, I'm hustling. I kept pushing, and... Uh, I'm hustling. And <laughs> that's a guy that's probably... Is he this big around? <laughs> usually the guys that say, I'm hustling, you know, they're cool. They're, like, usually that big around and <laughs> skinny and... <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, he, you know, I kept pushing, and he said... Uh, he finally told me what they were doing, and, um, you know, I asked to... I asked to join. To get involved. To get involved. And uh, I spent the next year and a half working in this illegal business until we got arrested. That's a big confession. Gil, I respect you. Listen, we all make mistakes in life. Especially when you're a young person and you, you're still trying to find your way. So we got arrested and extradited to the U.S. Uh, ah, you were here? Yeah, we were here. And you got extradited? Wow, that's huge. Yeah. Wow. And uh, we spent four and a half years, um, just over 53 months, in uh, a, bunch, a bunch of different federal facilities and county jails. And um, when I got out... Um, well, what was that like for you? Was there anything that just finally clicked and said... You know what? Like, it was really, it was the best thing that could have happened to me. Um, I got introduced to AA in jail. Now, as of July 5th, I'm six years sober. Wow. Um, God bless you, Gil. Gil, you're a great lady. Thanks. Um, and, you know, it, like, it changed my life, truly. So, you know, I can't say that any of the 1,607 days I spent in jail were a waste, you know, because I, I learned a lot about myself. And... Now, I'm joking when I say this, but I'm glad I got my taxpayers' dollars worth. <laughs> God bless you, lady. <laughs> Has anyone ever said thank you? I got my taxpayer dollars. No. <laughs> I cracked myself up. Anyway, so 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 you get out. Wow. What what kind of? So you said you when you were in there, you hooked up with A. I'm sure you. Wow. You had plenty of time to think about. Yeah, absolutely. Your life. Yeah. Um, did a lot of different therapy programs and uh, different wow. um, drug 
and alcohol programs besides AA, and um, really kind of got more of an insight into. Um, insight is or like insight is. Yeah, insight into myself. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, wow. Yeah, it was it was tough, but it was it was a good experience for me. Yeah. Wow, Gil. Wow, that's sobering. That's that's sobering. Let me ask you. Uh, wow. You're a good woman. You're a good woman. So, you get out of the pokey. Right. Well, I got, after four and a half years, the government decided that I had sat long enough. What happened was, we all got arrested here. I surrendered to the U.S. immediately. I waived extradition and went. Smart. My co-defendants all fought all the way to the Supreme Court in Israel and spent over three years fighting only to get extradited anyways, but I sat there waiting for them to show up, and, you know, the federal court system takes 9 to 18 months to go through, so it took them three years to get to the U.S., and then another 18 months to go through the system, and so four and a half years have passed, nothing's happened, and the government says, okay, she's cooperating with us, you know, she gave information and helped us, so we're going to let her out. I went to live in a Satmar Hasidic community in upstate New York. I got bailed out by Satmar Hasidic Jews. Wow. Um, I went to live in their community in upstate Can, New York. I'm going to interrupt you here, yeah. Gil. Wow. You know, I didn't think this was... Because I've seen you on the TV and everything. I have to tell you, I honor you as a woman. I really do. Because folks don't want to admit their guilt and surrender. They'd rather fight... Honestly, it was such a relief the day I got arrested. Like, I actually felt relief because that's kind of business. Lot. You don't walk away from, you know, you get taken to the beach with a gun to your head. And uh, there's no walking away from it. Wow. So, to me, it was just a relief for it to be over and to be able to, to move forward. Without looking over your shoulder, I bet you were doing a lot of that. Right. Always, yeah. Wow. Getting followed me, you don't even know by who because it could be so many different people. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's no way to live. Uh, look, when I first saw you on the uh, in the media, I was like, "Wow, that's this." I gotta. I'm telling you, I, I hunted you down. And look, I mean, it's not like you were hard to find to a degree, but if, you got to know where to start. Right. And I, I'll have to be honest with you. And it was easy. You know, it's it's easy for me to make a judgment, not knowing all the facts. And I thought, oh man, do I want it? Wow, how did this? I mean, I ask myself a lot of questions, obviously. But uh, wow, this Gil—it's—it's it's amazing. I'm, I'm glad that I'm sitting here with you. That you didn't end up dead, which could have very easily happened. Wow. Listen, Gil, God preserved your life for a reason. Absolutely. Yeah. God protects me forever. Wow. This is. Uh, I don't. I'm not. Uh, I'm not some kind of candy or anything, but. This is, listen, folks, we're going to come right back and finish this amazing. I wish I had five hours with you. This is Michael Gano with Insight to Israel and Hershey for Heroes. We'll be right back. This is Michael Gano with Insight to Israel. Every day, the Israeli Defense Force finds itself on the front line of the war with the militant arm of Islam. Surrounded by enemies from within and without, they fight for the only Jewish state. Military service is mandatory, ladies serving two years and men serving three right out of high school. While young people in other democracies are busy traveling or attending university, Israeli men and women gear up for basic training. 
In a world of heads of state, politicians, ambassadors, diplomats, and a leftist media, many times our voice at the grassroots level is drowned out. So we started an ongoing project called Hershey's for Heroes. Patriot conservatives from all over the U.S. are sending Hershey's chocolate bars with a note of thanks for defending Israel. Won't you join us by sending a sweet message to the IDF? For information, please see my Facebook page at Michael Gano. Thank you, God bless Patriot conservatives, and God bless Israel in her struggle for sovereignty and security. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. So you go through all this stuff, you're now in touch with in in the United States with uh, Hasidic? Yeah, it's a Hasidic community, like an ultra-Orthodox Hasidic Now, would this be, would this be considered the, the Haredim, the Haredi here in Israel? Would that be the same? Uh, kind of the same, yeah. Okay. I mean, it's a very specific sect, sect called Satmar. Okay. Um, so they're all of Hungarian descent. Oh, really? Yeah. And, uh, you know, they're, like, very religious. So I was, in, you know, long skirts, long sleeves, thick stockings. Wow. <laughs> You know what? I'm not laughing. No, like, I know. It's just hard to picture. You, 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 right. you know. You know, it was. It, and your crazy I, little ball cap there. Um, you know, so it was. Uh, it was definitely uh, different. Yeah. To live there, but it was. It was a great experience. You know, they're they're very pure, um, simple, holy people. Yeah. Yeah. I'm envious that they can live such a pure, simple life. You know. Yeah. You know what? I'm gonna tell you. Uh, anyway, Gil, how in the... Okay, so what, where did you come to this place? Um, I, I left the U.S. in August of this past year. Yeah. Okay. So I left the U.S. in August. In 2014. Yes. I came back to Israel. Um, I've been watching everything in social media and media, what was happening there. In the middle of August, you know, that's when they started showing off all the female fighters the YPG had. The Peshmerga. And the YPG. YPG, which would, for the listeners. Oh, YPG is in Syria. Okay. It's uh, people's protection units. Um, and I saw that, and uh, I actually messaged a friend I was in the army with, who's, you know, she's a little wild, or I don't know what you would say, crazy or something. Okay. But, you know, if anyone's going to go there with me, it would be, it would be her. I messaged her, and she never wrote back. You know, I said, hey, they've got women fighting on the front lines. This is what we always wanted. Because we're, before she came to the IDF, she wasn't Jewish. And before she came to the IDF, she looked into the French Foreign Legion and a whole bunch of different options. So she was, she was, ba- so, okay, folks, for those who don't know, when you're done with military service here, you're pretty much done unless you're an officer and you go into, like, the carry out, the, the security, kind of the kind of like the Pentagon. Right. Yeah. And, uh, now, anyway, go ahead. Um, so she never messaged me back, and, and I kept following everything that was happening. And, you know, there were just certain images on social media that, that to this day are still stuck in my head. You know, like I remember seeing this girl that had been, like, tied to a bed, raped and tortured and mutilated, and she had a cross shoved down her throat. And I thought, you know, they're being persecuted for their religion. You know, as Jews, I had, you know, I was raised with a very strong Jewish identity, Holocaust education. And we always say never again. Right. And never again doesn't just apply to other Jews. It applies to everybody. We don't stand by and stay silent when a genocide is taking place. And what I saw happening in Sinjar, 
what I saw happen in that whole region was a genocide against Christian and Yazidi people. Wow. Wow, I can't even say it. No. Okay, go ahead. And I saw women fighting on the front lines, and I thought, why not me? You know, I'm physically capable. I have military training. You know, if women in the Middle East are taking up arms, especially coming from an oppressive culture like they are in, you know, if they can take up arms and fight against something as evil as ISIS, you know, they should be getting all the help they can get. Right. Wow. Wow. And so, you know, it took a little bit of uh, planning, and, and then I was gone. How did you, uh, first of all, I'm surprised that Americans that come to the Middle East to fight against them, I'm surprised the American government doesn't act against them. Thank God they don't. It's only a matter of time, though, before that happens. As corrupt as my government is, and I say it openly, both parties, because we're funding over a dozen Muslim countries and arming and training them. It's disgusting. Uh, so how in the world, like, what, did you catch a Greyhound bus? <laughs> well, I mean, not so far from it. What happened, um, you know, I was nervous about booking the whole ticket. So basically I crossed the border, you know, because flying to Iraq, like, you can't even book a ticket from Israel to Iraq. No. No. So um, I basically I crossed the border, the northern crossing into Jordan, um, took taxi down to um, Amman and flew from How old were you? How old are you? Um, 30, 30. And you, okay, go ahead. And you know you're a white woman. Yeah. In the Middle East. Yeah. yeah actually, you know what, on the way, um, the taxi that I took from the from the north to Amman, I met this German couple and, and I had gotten questioned quite a bit by the Jordanians. I'm they sure. They wanted to know where I was flying and why I was flying to Iraq as an Israeli. And uh, so they took me upstairs for questioning. Ah, so you used your Israeli passport? Well, what happens when you enter Jordan, like, they want to see the exit stamp from Israel. And right. You have to leave Israel with an Israeli passport, so they want your Israeli passport to enter Jordan. So then they were questioning me as to why I'm going to Erbil. And, you know, like, I had a pretty, I had contacts there already, so I just said I was going to visit friends, which wasn't so far from the truth because right. I already knew people there. Right. Um, so we kind of went in circles for a little while, and, and then they let me go. And this German couple that I had met in the line was waiting for me downstairs. We actually, we took the, the um, we took the cab to Oman together. And we're still in touch to this day when the story broke because I didn't tell them where I was flying. They said to me in the cab, Wherever you're going, are you going to be okay there? And so the story broke. Legitimate question. <laughs> the story broke a couple of weeks later that that I was fighting ISIS in Syria, and they, you know, contacted me on Facebook. They just messaged me the other day saying they're going to be in Jerusalem in in like September, October, wow. doing volunteer work in the Christian quarter, and you know, so everything happens for a reason. You know, like I, all these connections and people you meet and everything. Like, so when you're doing the right thing, everything falls into place. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. And if Absolutely. If you have to force and push, that means you're doing something wrong. Wow. Gil, I say the same thing. When I came to this country, I didn't have to pump and prime. and right. I just, I, I knew it. I saw you and I, we, you, Yoni Netanyahu, I sat in a movie theater and watched in Washington, D.C. and watched Follow Me 
the new documentary. I'm telling you, I sat there and cried. And a man had offered me a plane ticket in 2011 to come here. Wow. A plane. We didn't. Had never met me. I didn't meet him until two weeks before I left Washington. Wow. And to, to move here. Wow. And we talked on the phone for like three hours. He said, "You know a lot about the Middle East and about Israel." I said, I, "I've I've studied this my whole life." He said, "You ever been to Israel?" And I said, "No." He said, "You want to go?" He said, "I'm a pilot for U.S. Air." Never had a clue I was talking to a pilot for U.S. Air. <laughs> And, you know, in the United States, and I don't mean to sidetrack, but I think it correlates. You take what people say with a grain of salt. And when he said, I said, I offered a plane ticket, actually, to my mother, who's, you know, and she said, let me pray about it. She called me a few days later. She said, God meant that ticket for you. You'll know the right time. Anyway, so how in the, okay, so you made these contacts. Your head, what was that like for you emotionally? Like, I just, I, I knew, like... It was, I knew I was following the right path, you know, like, uh, some people would say, like, weren't you scared? Not for a second, like, I just knew everything was going to work out. That's it, you know? that's I, it. One thing, I've gone through so much in my life that, I don't know, like, I have such a strong faith, and uh, I know when, I know when everything is going to be fine, you know? So I got to Erbil, a friend who was waiting there at the airport at 6 in the morning, and, um, I can't rub my body around all this. Yeah. I just can't. Yeah. And uh, within a couple of days, I, they arranged transportation for me to get into Syria. And, uh, let me let me ask you. Okay, so I saw some of your pictures on Facebook. Sure. I mean, there's there's not that many actually that I've yeah. uploaded, but maybe yeah. Yeah. If there's anything you ever want to send me, so we can. Sure. But uh, did did you have did, did you go with equipment? Uh, to Syria, no, no. Um, I didn't bring anything with me. I How did you? My IDF boots. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah, I get I get military uh, desert boots from. Yeah. M- my mother gets on all the bases in the oh, states. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. Uh, so. Uh, so how did you, they just give you the equipment, how yeah, are they being I mean, supplied? Yeah, I, I get to Syria and to the headquarters, and they pretty much, they brought me out the full-size M16 or an AK-47 and kind of said, which one do you want? That, which one did you go with? I went with the AK. Of course! I, thank God I did, because I'm telling you, in Syrian winter, and freezing cold, and mud, and rain, the only thing that would have held up is an AK-47. <laughs> These things are amazing. Yeah. They are amazing. I mean, the ballistics are not so great. You know, the range isn't very good, but, you know, it did the trick. That, I'll tell you, and I don't remember the guy's name that designed the AK-47. And then it's been modified and adjusted, but its basic premise and the structure of it, the, 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 the way it's pieced together, is it's unbelievable. It's sheer genius, but simplistic. And, uh, wow, what was that? Now, you, had you ever handled an AK-47? No, so what happened was they took us for a week of weapons training, so we trained on everything from the AK-47 to the Kronos, which is the, like the Dragunov um, sniper rifle, ah. the PKM, which is a Russian machine gun, um, the, uh, the, what's it called? Um, RPG-7, okay. everything, so wow. all the weapons training in a week, really could have been done in like a day or two, but we stretched it out, Yeah. and then it was off to the front lines, so. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I, I'll tell you, the whole weapons thing, that's that's amazing. How was it compared to the Tuvor? 
I didn't have the Tavor when I was in the service. Okay. Tavor came out just at the end of my service, and it was, it was only going to like special forces units at that point. If I can, I'm supposed to be getting a tour of the factory. Oh, nice. I'll, I'll, I'm going to take you a lot of places with me. Okay, cool. Okay. All right. We're going we're gonna to hit some bases. I'm gonna, we're going to hand out some Hershey's for Heroes. Awesome. We're going like, to put some notes on some chocolate bars cool. with show us survivors, with Holocaust survivors. Okay. I want you involved all as right. much as possible. We're going to take care of you, all right? All right. But anyway, that's a side. Wow, that's exciting. What was that? What was it like? For, here you are. I can't even wrap my mind around this whole situation. <laughs> what was it like for you as you observed everything and knew what you're faced with? I mean, my first day on the front line, a suicide bomber blew himself up about 50 feet away. The only reason he didn't get to us was because his car got stuck in the mud because it was so hot in Syria. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Not a question. Not a question. Does your mother know? Did she know that you were in... I mean, she, I she definitely that... does because when, when the story came out of me being captured and possibly killed... Ma? Yeah, there were... Back in November, I guess no one had heard from me. YPG in Syria, they, they cut off the communications. So once a month I would get to log in and check my Facebook and email and that sort of thing. And I look on my Facebook and everything in my newsfeed is stories about me being captured. It was like the But it wasn't true. It was the top story in Canada for like over a week. There was like a five minute clip of the the defense minister, foreign affairs minister or something of Canada, John Baird. Um, and the title is Where is Jill Rosenberg? <laughs> I didn't see this till months later. It's horrible. This, you know. but, wow. Yeah, so nobody knew if I was alive or dead. The emails that I would send back, you know, had, were rushed. And, you know, people would ask for specific information that only I would know. I finally get an email from the Canadian government that says, The Canadian government and your mother are very concerned about your welfare. <laughs> Wow, what was that like? Does everybody thinks you're. Every, uh, it, it was really emotional. Understandable. Um, I got a. I can't imagine. I got messages yeah. from close friends of mine that were saying. One of my friends that had supported me in my decision to leave. Only a couple of my friends knew that I was going to, to fight in the Syrian Of course. Of course. One of my close friends that knew sent me this, this email saying. I I knew, you know, I, I thought I was telling you to do the right thing. I felt like you're completely capable and that this was your path. Maybe I was wrong. I'm so sorry if I was wrong. But I really felt like, you know, you, you knew exactly what you were doing, and I really hope it's not true that you're dead. But she was writing to me, you know, she wrote me this long email as if I was already dead. Wow. And, uh, you know, it was really, really hard to read that and then continue on, you know, just keep just keep doing what I was doing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, back in, in January, I went back to Erbil in Iraq because uh, I felt like I needed to straighten things out with everybody and really... So, you, what, so after you saw all this yeah. and they thought you were captured or dead... So, in a couple more months, like two more months went by and, uh, and then I decided to come back to Iraq and straighten things out, you know, make sure everyone knows that I'm okay, really... And um, and then go back and be more at peace because you know you can't have your attention diverted on the front line. Like Absolutely. You have to focus 100 percent. And when you're thinking about whether other people think you're dead, you know your friends and loved ones. So help me help me out here. I don't mean to. Interrupt. I missed something. Why did they think that? Was because there was no communication or? Right. So there was no communication. I guess it was ISIS propaganda um, saying that they had captured me. Um, 
months later when I was with like the liaison officer from the KRG, he was pulling out all these intelligence reports saying I had been spotted in Kobani and all uh, like places that I'd never been. Yeah. And uh, so there was a lot of misinformation out there. And you weren't able to see and this because you're on the front lines. Right, exactly. So I couldn't see it and I couldn't you know respond respond and let people know that it wasn't true. Um, so in January, I went back to Erbil to straighten everything out. Um, in the process of that, I connected with an Assyrian Christian militia. And from the get-go, as soon as I started talking to people there, their foreign fighters and the party leader, I just knew I knew it was the place where I was supposed to be. Yeah. They were fighting 25 kilometers outside of the city ce- city center of Mosul, which was... Of Mosul, wow. Which was where the next big fight was supposed to be at the time. It's still... Mosul still hasn't been liberated. It doesn't look like it's going to happen anytime soon. No. But, um, what, what, let me ask you, I don't mean to interrupt. Sure. What did you think when you heard about the 2,300 vehicles, U.S. vehicles, that were captured by ISIS? I feel like um, I feel like it was intentional. Intentional? I, bl- I agree with you. I agree with you. And it's awful to say, but I feel like it was intentional. No, no. Listen, let me tell you, America, you better wake up. I'm telling you, people in the United States. I, I mean, I'm telling you from my personal experiences on the ground that, I mean, even you. I mean, you saw when Ramadi fell, right? Ramadi, can. There was a convoy of vehicles, a couple kilometers long. Perfectly clear day. No airstrikes made against those vehicles. No, they were making... Clearly marked, like, yeah. with the ISIS flag. Most of the airstrikes have been done at night to empty buildings. Listen, I we I was in Sinjar. We were getting shot at by a sniper from about a kilometer away. They called two A-10s, two 500-pound bombs for one guy. You know, half a million, a million dollars gone like that for one person. Yeah. I mean, and then you see this convoy of, of ISIS vehicles, and they don't do anything about it. So it makes absolutely no sense, uh, you know. You're right. The use of airstrikes. You're right. Uh, Joe, I want you to always tell the truth. Yeah, I know you will. Yeah. But I want to encourage you: never be afraid. Yeah. Do not fear. I know. I know. So, what did you? Okay, you talked about the suicide bomber. What? What? What was probably the most memorable experience for you on the front lines? Hmm, that's a that's a tough one. Um, did you did you was anyone that you got close to were they killed? No, thank God. Yeah. Thank God. Yeah. Um, a lot of a lot of my friends lost friends, but um, you know, thank God I, I didn't lose anyone. Yeah. But you know, there were four foreign fighters killed in YPG after I left. You know, there's definitely, there's been significant losses there. Yeah. Significant losses. Wow. Wow. How did it change you to be there from what you were before you went to now? Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard. Uh, like, when I left Iraq, I didn't come straight to Israel. I was in Europe first. And it was really a culture shock, to say the least, you know. To realize that everyone's going about their daily business and they don't even give a, a thought to what's happening. And you think about it, and it's like, oh, war in Iraq. There's always war in Iraq. You know, that's not news. Right. This is different. This is very different than, than just a regular war. Yeah. yeah. It's taking place as a genocide. And uh, there was, 10 years ago, there was 1.3 million Christians in Iraq. Now there's less than 100,000. So they're being driven out and killed. Christianity was there long before Islam. Right. You know, uh, 
Jill, I say on my radio show, I say on all my social media, Muhammad was a bloodthirsty, child-raping, self-appointed false prophet. The Koran is a lie and there is no Allah. You're basically praying to the air. And Americans, look, the Europeans are done. Yeah, absolutely. A hundred, France is a Muslim country. A hundred thousand Muslims every month. I've been the media here. It's amazing. The, the Israeli media shows they're going into Greece and Italy. Yeah. Uh, and a hundred thousand folks, a hundred thousand Muslims a month immigrating illegally. Yeah. And now they're trying to come through the channel between France and England. And. Uh, it's unbelievable. What was it like for you in Europe when you were... Now, you'd been to Europe before? Yeah, of course, yeah. Mm. Uh, but this time, now that you've experienced what you have... Yeah, I mean, you just see everybody consumed with their daily lives, consumed with, like, materialism and consumerism. And it's hard, because it's like, to me, at that point, it meant absolutely nothing. Absolutely. Absolutely nothing. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, even back here, everyone says, well, just get a job and, you know, fit back into society, get an apartment, get a this, get a that get married and it's like you can't like I left friends on the front line there you know and that's all I think about I was at the Dead Sea the other day and I didn't even go into the water because I I feel like I don't have permission to have fun you know because they're probably getting hit with mortars right now you know so it's it's hard and I can't I can't do anything but continue to help in a different way. I don't necessarily have to be on the front lines there. Right. You know, at this point, after spending nine months there, you know, I can probably do more good by sharing my experience. Absolutely. Letting people know what, what the situation there is and why they should care. Um, you know, so that's that's what I need to do. Yeah. And uh, so something it- in the humanitarian <laughs> realm, but continuing to help women and children in Syria and Iraq. Yeah. Gil, it's so important. I keep going back and forth between Gil and Jill. Jill, it's so important because, uh, look, you know, I said it the other day. I did a video. January, I was up in the north with Air Goes. Okay. Okay. It goes. It goes. goes. Yeah. Uh, And that's that's my main picture on my Facebook. Did you see it? They had their. I didn't notice. It's all right. They had their mask pulled down. I gave them Hershey's for Heroes. It was awesome. Okay. Cool. February, the United States government, both parties are responsible, sent uh, $25 million worth of weapons to Lebanon. Yeah. 60 million rounds of ammunition. The United States, this is what you're paying for. This month, they sent another $250 million worth of weapons. Turkey is in NATO. Turkey's anti-Jew. They hate the Jews. Turkey is ISIS. Say it again. Turkey is ISIS. Because they're bombing the Kurds right now. They're bombing the Kurds in northern Iraq. And allowing... Every day I saw them allowing ISIS to cross the border into Syria illegally. Um, they were allowing ISIS to transport weapons across the border. The AK- AKP is ISIS. I mean, it's it's an Islamic uh, fundamentalist party. It's no different from ISIS. Wow. And you're funding... You're funding Turkey... Yeah. It's disgusting what it's the United States NATO is doing. Partner. It's our NATO, NATO partner. It's disgusting. I'm going to tell you, I want to say it publicly. I defy the United States government, Republican and Democrat, 
They're disgusting. I, I'm telling you, after I did the research, Jill, I called the Senate Foreign Relations and the Senate Arms Committee, and I said, you say you're pro-Israel on your website. Why did you just sign off on all this weaponry and money to go to Lebanon? Nobody had an answer. You know what? It's in their interest to have chaos in the Middle East. That's the bottom line. I'm telling you, I have no... I'm gonna, you know what, Jill? I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it publicly. I don't care if I lose donors. But America, you better wake up. Because you ain't so great anymore. And I'm using slang term, which is beneath my education. But you're not so great anymore. Your government's corrupt. Both parties. And there's no election that's going to save you from this thing. Because you're too far gone. And I'll tell you what, Jill. There's going to come a time very soon... I want to, I'm going to say this now. I will seek political and religious asylum in this country. And I'm going to make sure I make the headlines to show it for a reason. For a reason. To show the fallen state of the United States of America. You want to wave your flag? And you think you want to wave your flag in patriotism? Then you better... I, I, I got a lot I have to say on this issue, and I apologize. It's okay. But I'm, I'm tired of the false patriotism in the United States... You you will never. You know what I say, Jill. I'm, I'm, let me let me say this. I'm sorry. You're, this is this video. This interview is about you because you're an amazing lady. But America is only a concept. We're only a concept. Your pride and your self righteousness. I know the United States many years ago did a lot. We've done a lot for the world. But there's such a facade right now of patriotism. We think it's about a woman in a red, white, and blue bikini carrying an M16 and a guy with a goatee riding a Harley Davidson. Seriously, this is the filth and disgust that we use as patriotism today. It's no longer about God and country and moral values. It's just not. And, but Israel is the concrete to the concept. America, you want to be great again, you repent before God and you come back to the con concrete, which is the Jewish state, the Jewish people, and Torah. That's inside the Israel and Hershey Free. That's why we're here. Anyway, wow. I'm going to tell you what, Jill. I honor you as a woman. I respect you as a Jew. And I stand with you as an Israeli. Wow, that was good. I'm going to have to write that down. <laughs> I'll forget five minutes from now. So, okay, so now what? Now, if you come back here, that's huge. Like you said, going to the Dead Sea, I can't even imagine. Yeah, I mean, first of all, I wasn't sure if I was going to be, you know, arrested at the airport or what really? was going to happen. Yeah, I mean, we had made some calls beforehand, um, but, you know, there had been, been things in different news articles saying that I would be arrested for, for going to fight. Um, and so we were really uncertain. It was like a complete leap of faith getting on the plane and, and coming here. Um, wow. Yeah, and uh, pretty much it was a media frenzy ever since. Um, it's been. You're a hero, Jill. I don't feel I know, like a hero. I, know you I don't. feel like I was just doing. First of all, that I was just doing something right to, you know, kind of make up for my past. Um, which you know, like going to war, seeking redemption. You're not going to find it there, which is something that you know it took me nine months to realize. But you know. You know what the great thing is, Jill? God forgave you a long time ago. Yeah. I'm thankful you're here in this country. 
Thank you. What was it like? What was it? I, I, I was just, uh, you know, every time I come back and I've done something crazy or foolish or something that I really shouldn't have survived, whether it's jail or whatever else, you know, I always go straight to the old city and go to the hotel, the, the Western Wall, and for days we were just in interview after interview after interview and I was getting so frustrated because all I wanted to do was go to the Western Wall and all these cameras wanted to like follow me there and I was just like please just leave me alone like, right. I just want to go say thank you you know and not have a camera in my face to do it right. and uh, finally I got that you know but it it was almost a week later it was like like six days later yeah but, I mean, it hasn't been easy since I've been back. Yeah. So. Well, listen, I want to say we're, we're at the end of our time. But that's okay because this is not over. We're good. Listen, I, you are an amazing woman. Thank you. And I thank God for you. I thank God for you. I'm going to wrap this up. I, I don't even know how to wrap this up. I don't know how. But I will say... Uh, just to get it over with, because I, I can't find the words. Uh, and we're gonna, I wanna, we wanna have you again. Absolutely. Be and uh, my honor, my pleasure. And uh, listen, this is Michael Gano with Insight to Israel and Hershey's for Heroes. God bless the patriot conservatives who stand for the Judeo-Christian-founded Constitution and Bill of Rights. And God bless Israel in her fight for sovereignty and security. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna do a just a real short video. Sure. Standing up, and we're gonna talk about. I'm gonna say thank you for giving to Hershey's for Heroes. Okay. Wow, Joe, I, I can't even. Joe, I can't like I can't take all this in. <laughs> like, I, I didn't know what to expect, but you are an amazing, amazing. I know you're not, but you're such an amazing woman, and I'm I'm so thankful that I know you. Thank you. Well, I just got the chance to meet you. And, right. But, uh, oh, we're still recording. <laughs> this is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.